Well, I have a question for you today. What are you looking forward to when COVID is done? I know this uh, stay-at-home order has discouraged a lot of people. It's, it's not a fun time at the moment. Uh, we're, we're wanting life to be very different than it is. But when it's all done, what are you looking forward to? I know there are lots of people who are looking forward to a holiday, maybe going south in the winter again to w- warmth and sunshine, getting a break from, from the temperatures here, or maybe in the summer going camping again with family and friends. I know there are lots and lots of things. Hey, hanging out with, with, with friends in our homes again and sharing meals, having Christmas and Easter that we can uh, have with our families and, and celebrating in that way. But here's the question really that I have for you today. When COVID is done, what are you going to do with church? I ask because there's much on the blogosphere. Blogosphere, is that the term? But much being written, much being discussed about whether people will come back to church after getting really used to doing church online, as you are right now. Gotten used to what I've called church on the couch. You know, where you get up on a Sunday morning and you've got your cup of coffee. It's nice. It's convenient. You sit there and you don't have to get dressed. You don't have to go anywhere. You just sit down and participate in the music and you hear the sermon and, and it's good. Well, while a lot of people think that Lots of folks won't return to in-person worship. I want to tell you, I don't agree with them. I might be wrong, and we'll see what happens when the time comes, but I think there are so many people right now who are eager to be together again, eager for community, eager for relationship and connection, that I think when that time comes, people will come back to in-person services and enjoy them for what they are. I want to suggest to you that worship isn't just listening to music and maybe singing along on your own or listening to a sermon. What it is is getting together with God's people and worshiping together, listening to the sermon together as God's people as he speaks by his spirit. We're present there. It's, it's the same with, this, with the praise. We're singing as one to God. We're having fellowship with one another and enjoying that. See, this is something I would suggest to you that the church provides for us that is of great importance. It is valued. It is something of significance. And while some may stay home, I don't deny that's a possibility, I think most of us are going to want to engage in that again because of how important this thing is. Now, not all believers actually believe in the significance of that. Um, You know, the idea, again, that church is of value and of great importance in their lives. Even before COVID began, there were people who had decided that church wasn't something they really wanted. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people who know Christ, who follow Jesus. They're sincere in their faith. But they've come to a place where they've, you know, know, come where they're kind of done with church. Participation in church. They're called, actually, the duns in the literature. Uh, they've come to a place in in their lives where they just don't really feel that's something that they want anymore. They've decided that they can live without church. Some of them even think, and they're sincere in this, that they're better off without church, and that they just don't need it. Well, I want to tell you, my friends, there are people who get turned off by the church. I understand it. There are people who participate in church and they see hypocrisy. It's there. It happens. There are people who participate in church and they either are engaged in or observe church conflicts. 
And those conflicts happen. But what they see is not people of faith dealing with their conflict in a godly way, but they see people of faith dealing with conflict in a pretty ungodly way. And they think, I want no part of that. And the reality is that, that sometimes they just look at the church and they say, this is not what the church ought to be, and they decide to walk away. Now, I want to tell you, I get this. I really do. I, I grew up I- in a minister's home. I, I was a PK, a preacher's kid. And in a very real way, if you can understand what I'm going to describe, I saw the church from the inside. I saw my dad hurt lots of times. I saw, my, I saw people treating themselves or each other pretty poorly. I saw conflict that wasn't godly. I, I get it. I understand that. My conclusion wasn't to give up on the church and walk away. My conclusion was to determine in my heart that I would never, ever, ever become a pastor. Uh, by the way, never say never is a fairly significant statement. So, um, but you know, as people experience life in the church, more and more now, this generation in this day, they're just opting out because the church is far from perfect. They don't really believe there's a need for it. It's not important and valuable to them. They literally come to a place where in their disillusionment, they step away. They read the Bible on their own and they pray on their own. They even care for people and serve on their own, but not through the church. So I want to speak for a few weeks on a series entitled Church, Why Bother? Now, this title came from a little book, 100 pages, that Philip Yancey wrote uh, 20 plus years ago. Uh, It's his title and a great little book. But why bother with something that is inconvenient? You know, you got to get up and you got to get dressed and you got to go and you got to come back. And Why bother with that? Why bother with something, the church, that's filled with very fallible people, with people who at times really disappoint. My suggestion to you from Scripture this morning is this, that church involvement, engaging in church, worshiping with people, serving with people, fellowshipping with people, being part of a church community is something that God wants for every believer. It's, it's so clear in Scripture, but it's often not seen. So in spite of inconvenience, And in spite of hypocrisy at times, and in spite of poorly handled conflicts, in spite of the hurts that people might experience as part of a church community, it's God's intention for us. He wants it. It is his will. Now, let me give you a few reasons why that is so. Number one, (laughs) and and these reasons, I I really want you to think about them because they have significance for your life and for mine. Number one, God created the church And it's his intention for us. Have you thought about that? This thing that some people dismiss as the church, and I want it, it's God's creation. It's his plan for his people. Listen, after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, what did God do? Well, read Acts chapter 2 and you'll see, and you'll know. God sent his spirit upon 120 people who were in in an upper room. God moved in the lives of those people and God created the church of Jerusalem. Hear that? God created the church, the first church in Jerusalem. And it grew from there in a profound way. It was God's idea. His people, people who follow Jesus, people who are filled with the Spirit, people who go out into the world in a, in a, 
in an intentional way in, in the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in this world. He, God, wants you part of the church. Number one. Second thing is, through the church, God intends to change the world. I don't know if a a lot of people think that way anymore, but we need to. Think again about the Acts 2 dynamic. Pentecost came. As I've said, the Holy Spirit was given in power, and the people who had no capacity on their own to speak in various languages as they were surrounded by people from all over the world, Jews who had come to Jerusalem in that moment, they were empowered to share the message of Jesus in a way that transformed people's lives. And then they went home and they began the church where they went. It was a powerful moment. Part of the intention of God for that day. Part of the intention of God for the church to move out and to be created in so many different locations. Listen to you. I want to read Matthew 16. Verse 18, first of all, this is a, 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 a great text that, uh, that Jesus um, speaks. He's talking to Simon in particular, Peter, uh, but of course others are there as well. And he says this, where is that verse now? Chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will bu- build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now listen to me, my friends. There, that is a mouthful. I, Jesus said, I, by the power of my spirit, will build my church. The church is Christ's. It's his. And he said, I'm going to build it. And I'm going to build it to such an extent that this human, humanly created thing this thing that is filled with my spirit it is over is going to overcome the power of evil in this world oh my goodness god has a purpose for the church thus he has created the church look at the 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 verse that follows verse 19 in matthew 16 i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven Now here again, we have an incredibly significant verse to think about. Jesus giving the keys of the kingdom to those who would lead the church, the apostles. You know, they would have the capacity to open the door to the kingdom so that people might walk into it by faith in Jesus. And and what (laughs) Jesus says, what you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Spiritual power was given to these people and to the church of Christ, which Jesus had promised to build, so that through it, people might come to know and believe in him, so that through those people who would be empowered to go into the world, that the world might be changed. Let me give you a couple more verses. These are, these are significant. These are uh, typical of many verses that exist in the Bible, and, and if you haven't seen the significance of Scripture uh, of, of the church in scripture please take time with this it is so embedded in the bible that sometimes you miss it but again it is the plan of god but let me read to you first timothy 3 14 and 15 although i hope to come to you soon paul writes writing to timothy i am writing you these instructions so that if i am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in god's household which is the church of the living god the pillar 
and foundation of truth. Now, that, again, is another mouthful. It is through the church of Christ, as fallible as it might be at times, but it is through the church of Christ that the truth of God has been, is being made known and will be made known in the world. It is the method or the mechanism which God has created in order for biblical truth to enter into the minds of millions of people that they might come to faith in Jesus. It, it's such an important thing. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read to you from 7 to 11. It says this, Paul again writing, this time to the Ephesian church. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, not only is the truth of Christ and what God did in Jesus and what God's plan for creation uh, was to be no made known through the church to people, it is to be made th known, this manifold witness that God has, has held, this mystery that God has held through eternity past. It is to be made known to the uh, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, to the spiritual world. Even there, the church has been and is a critical element in speaking the profound reality that God wants made known. You see, I could go on and on and on with verses such as these, but my friends, I want to tell you, the, the church is created by God, and as a result, it is, the, it, it, it is to, to carry the truth of God, the gospel of Jesus into the world, and, it, and through it, the world can be saved. Somebody has said that the church is the hope of the world. Do you believe that? Do you look at this world, and you look at all the trouble and the brokenness and the violence and the, and the racism and all, all that exists out there that is contrary to the world of work of God, and do you think that it is the church that is the solution? I want to tell you, my friends, that's what Scripture says. That's what Scripture says. So God created the church. And then God is going to and is using the church to accomplish his purposes. Point number three, I love this. this. This says it for me, maybe more than anything else today. Jesus loves his church. Do you know that? He loves the church. You know, one of the most powerful images that is given to us of the church in Scripture, and there are many of them, you know, we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We are the household of God, many of them. But one of the most powerful images of the church in Scripture comes to us when we are told that the church is the bride of Christ. Now, we need to think on that. We need to dwell on that to try to unpack its meaning. But let me read to you, to do so, from Ephesians 5, 25 to 32. Now, this is a famous passage which we go to, and I've gone to it and taught about marriage and how marriages are supposed to function and how wives are to submit and husbands are to love and how it's all an expression of the submission that we are to sh show one another uh, as Christ, uh, in, in honor of Christ, you know, to live as he lived. But I want you to listen to the teaching 
in this passage about Christ's love for his church. So, Ephesians 5, 25 to 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, odd in a sense, right? He's talking about husbands and wives and how they leave their families of origin and those other commitments that they previously carried and they, they come together as Genesis s- suggests. This is a quote from there, essentially. And, and how they are united and they become one flesh, referencing not only a physical sexual union, but a union in every way. Two become one. Now listen to me, my friends. This is an illustration from marriage, primarily in this text about the relationship of Jesus to the church. That's what Paul says. I'm really talking about Christ and the church, not husbands and wives. And what we have here is is this this teaching which calls us to a recognition as, as a husband is committed to a wife, as a husband loves his wife, as a husband has an intimate relationship with his wife, and vice versa. So the Lord Jesus has that relationship with us, one of commitment, one one of love, one of intimate connection so that he and the church become one. My goodness, what a powerful teaching. And the Bible tells us that Christ longs to return again to be with his bride. You know, what a teaching. I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear this. The church will never be perfect as long as dot, dot, dot. The church will never be perfect as long as I am in it. And the church will never be perfect as long as you are in it. It's just not going to be happy. It's just not going to happen because we sin, because we are faulty and broken beings, and because we make mistakes and we mistreat each other and so forth. And so that, yes, there is hypocrisy, and yes, there are poor, poorly handled conflicts, and there are divisions in churches, and there is gossip in church, and there is unforgiveness in church, and I could just keep on going. I probably don't need to for those of you who have been in the church for any length of time. But here's my point to you today, my friends. Just because this is the reality of the church, we need to recognize that Jesus does not give up on his church because he loves it. With all of his heart, he loves it. Quite frankly, Jesus is realistic about us. And he loves us anyway as his church. You know, there have been times in my experience when, when, when people, if, if you would, have judged the church pretty harshly and even left it. And my sense is that they, they really think the church ought to be perfect because God is perfect. And they hold the church to an incredibly high standard. And, and there seems to be great offense when they feel wronged by the church. 
Well, you know the reality, my friends? While the church is a divine institution, it is populated by sinful people like you and me. So while we strive to be godly and while we strive to be holy and while we strive by the grace of God to treat each other well, we'll never, we'll never be perfect. And we'll probably continue to struggle with one another once in a while. You know, some people disparage what I uh, have heard often and probably you have too. They disparage what has become known as organized religion. Have you heard the phrase? Um, as if there's something actually bad with organized religion. I guess it's a reference to denominations and so forth. Now, it's true that there are times when churches veer off course and they need to be brought back in line with biblical teaching. That's why the Reformation happened in the 16th century. You know, under the leadership of people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and and so many others. Uh, You know, there was a call for the church to return to, to, to Scripture and to the biblical way, to be reformed according to the Word of God. It needed to happen, and it needs to happen often. But my friends, some feel free, <laughs> considering that reality, to feel that they want to move beyond organized religion by staying away from it. Uh, let me tell you this, and I don't know whether you've ever thought this before, but if you haven't and you tend to be a little negative toward the organized church, let me tell you this. The New Testament church was, uh, was organized religion. Let me show you how. Uh, the, the dynamic that we read as we enter into the Acts of the Apostles, and, and more, of course, but particularly the Acts of the Apostles, is, is a recognition that um, organization really is, is necessary to being a biblical church. You know, Jesus prior to and during the time of his resurrection appearances and his his ascension, he appointed apostles to lead the church. He gave them spiritual authority to lead. It's part of the church. Uh, As the church grew, they, the apostles, delegated as leaders so that deacons would distribute the funds of the church to the widows and to those who were poor so that the apostles could give themselves to preaching God's word, being that that voice whereby the truth of God, you remember? <laughs> the, the, that foundation would be spoken into the world. You know what? We still do that. My task is still to preach the word of God, first and foremost, primarily among you. Still the case. And then as Paul established churches on his three missionary journeys, what did he do as he, as he was getting prepared to move on to another location, to establish another church? He appointed elders uh, to lead the congregations, to, to shepherd the churches that had been established, to protect the churches, mostly from false teachers, which were numerous then and they're numerous today. And then, of course, to teach the word of God. Then when the, an issue arose in the early church where there were really differing opinions, even between apostles, um, the Council of Jerusalem was called. Read Acts 15 if you'd like to, to know about it where everyone came together and they, together they discerned the mind of God and when this authoritative body came to a conclusion, everybody accepted and respected that decision, even the apostles. You know, this is not very different from what we in the 
Presbyterian Church in Canada called the General Assembly, which happens every year. See, I want to suggest to you everything that I've just described to you is really pretty much organized religion. It's God's way. <laughs> and I know there are times when other forms of church arise, and that's not a bad thing. You know, the house church movement and you know, other movements that are even now rising up, I find it very exciting, actually, as distinct from historic denominations. And for all I know, that's what the future is going to be. But those movements, those house churches, whatever they may be, they better be organized according to biblical teaching. And they, they need to have the biblical elements that are, that, are, that are described as how a church is to function wired within them. We're going to talk about some of those things and how those things are incredibly important for your life. And how they can bless your life. You know, one of the things I've done in preparing for this series is to think about the Corinthian church. You know, the, in the New Testament, there's First and Second Corinthians. I want to tell you, that church, uh, established by Paul, a church to which he wrote letters back to them to instruct them about how to be the church, that church was a mess. You know, it's, it's, it's not too strong to suggest that that church was a disaster terms of being a good healthy functioning congregation you know there were factions in the church there was incest in the church <laughs> even worse than that was the fact that the the leadership of the church didn't think anything of it and, and and didn't address it paul paul told them to the lord's supper was essentially being abused in the exercise of spiritual gifts there was incredible pride uh being expressed their worship was chaotic that's where the phrase decently and in good order comes from that uh, presbyterians love to say i'm afraid but paul's told them you know the worship has to be done decently and in order and he told them how to do it but listen to this my friends what did paul do with that disaster of a church what did he do with that mess that was so far from what God wanted. I want to tell you, he stayed with the mess. And he was faithful to it. And he refused to give up on it. To me, that is an incredible thing. Let me wind down by, by asking you this. What do you think Jesus does with his church today? You know, when he sees our faults and our brokenness and our hypocrisy and our church fights and our whatever, what does he do with his church let me tell you he continues to love it he loves it with all of his heart in spite of what it can become and my friends not only does he love it but he treats it with grace <laughs> he's realistic about the church he knows what sometimes goes on with the church but he doesn't judge it and he doesn't condemn it and he doesn't run away from it he treats it with grace with love and he continues to pour his spirit into it and you know what he then remains faithful to it he really does and he remains part of it and friends the bible's pretty clear we're to do the same we're not to give up we're not to condemn we're not to criticize we're to pray for and we're to love and we're, we're to be faithful to this thing which God has created, this thing which God wishes to use to transform lives and to transform the world, which God loves. Which God loves. You know, I'd love to be a part of a perfect church. 
I really would. That would be fantastic. The problem is, it doesn't exist. There isn't such a thing. It just isn't there. And what we have to do is learn to treat the church as Christ did, recognizing the potential within it, recognizing its power, its potential, and the goodness of it. I'm going to read the last few paragraphs from this book, Church Why Bother, by Philip Yancey. He's referencing a pastor from California who um, was, was defending his church, it says here, against crit critics who dismissed it for its hypocrisy, its failures, its inability to measure up to the New Testament high standards. And this is what he said one day. Referencing a local high school. When the uh, Milpitas High School Orchestra attempts Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the result is appalling. I wouldn't be surprised if the performance made old Ludwig roll over in his grave despite his deafness. You might ask, why bother? Why inflict on those poor kids the terrible burden of trying to render what the immortal Beethoven had in mind? Not even the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra can attain that perfection. My answer is this. The Milpitas High School Orchestra will give some people in that audience their only encounter with Beethoven's great Ninth Symphony. Far from perfection, it is nevertheless the only way they will hear Beethoven's message. <laughs> Not powerful. We don't have to be perfect for God to use us. We don't have to be perfect as a church for us to bless one another. We don't have to be perfect, certainly, to be loved by God. Philip Yancey goes on, I remind myself of Palmer's analogy whenever I start squirming in a church service. Although we may never achieve what the composer had in mind, there is no other way for those sounds to be heard on earth. My friends, don't give up in the church ever. Believe in it because we're called to believe in this thing that God has formed. Love the church like Jesus loves it. Pray for it. Be good to it. Participate in it. Be gracious toward the church. Give yourself to it because through it, salvation comes to the world. And we're going to talk in future weeks about how the church can be more and more, I hope, meaningful in your life. But the beginning point, the starting point, is to know that it's of God and to treat the church as Jesus does, to believe in it and to participate in it, both when COVID ends and for the rest of your days, because that is God's will for you. Amen.